Well, good morning, Hope Church. It's so nice again to be together this Sunday morning, even if it's virtually. And my name is Jeeves. I have the privilege of overseeing the youth work with my wonderful wife, Catherine. And we're continuing our journey this morning in the Gospel of Luke. Now, we've hit Luke 12, which is a really interesting moment because Luke 12 and the beginning of Luke 13 is when Jesus preaches. But the entire preach is based on the context of Jesus with the Pharisees that we read last week. So I really want to recommend that as we are traveling uh, over the next few weeks in Luke 12, you really go back and listen to Ian's preach from last week. I think he handled the passage with great wisdom. But it really sets the context of where Jesus is coming from, preaching in Luke 12 and the beginning of Luke 13. Another thing I just want to note before we even start today on this journey is Jesus slightly changes his tack when it comes to preaching. Now, don't get me wrong, during the entire time, Jesus has been looking at the battle against legalism and that doesn't change. But what we see is this moment where Jesus is starting to commission those he is teaching in a way to say you are starting to get sent. It's kind of like a teacher is getting his students ready for graduation for the time that the students are no longer with the teacher. And so we need to hold that context because the words that Jesus is going to say in this are tough. They're not easy. They're not an easy pill to swallow. But I hope that by my time that I just get the privilege of of opening these words, that they really get to us. They really challenge us. But more importantly, we see the Father's love in all of this. So let me pray. I'm going to read the Bible along, hopefully, with you at home. And then I'm going to dive right in to these words to just see what God wants to do in us today. So Heavenly Father, I ask that you would use me as a vessel for your work and that you would be glorified as we spend time together looking at your word. In your holy name, Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to look at Luke 12, 1 to 12. I'm reading from the ESV and the words will be up on the screen behind me. Okay, let's go. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, 
Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay, let's start on this wild and fun and kind of difficult journey. Looking at the first three verses, which I've kind of described it, congruent Christianity. Straight away in Jesus' message, he's kind of bringing up this encounter he's had with the Pharisees by drawing out their attitude. I.e. what we read from last week is the Pharisees were acting in a way of hypocrisy. What do you mean by hypocrisy? Well, Ian tackled it so well by basically saying what is seen outside is not what's going on in the heart. What is seen by them doing things is not what is actually going on inside. Being concerned about being praised by other people, but not being that bothered on how you trample on people. Do you kind of see that heart intent? Concerned about fake reverence, walking around and and expecting people to praise them for how they're coming to God, rather than being bothered by actually their relationship with God. I don't remember we talked about this concept of Instagram Christianity, doing Christianity for the likes, doing things that can be liked by other people in that way. Jesus is using an analogy straight away with this kind of leaven thing by just trying to describe what the effect of hypocrisy can do in the heart. Now, leaven is a reference to uh, Exodus where uh, the children of Israel were told to remove all leaven. Um, leaven is the same as yeast. It's kind of this, this bacteria that would grow and grow and grow for us that would make bread, risen bread. But the children of God in Exodus were asked to remove all of that to try and uh, keep it so it was unleavened, keep it so it wasn't kind of um, infected. Jesus was using this analogy that they would have understood to the core. The fact that it's not letting something spread like wildfire through it. Uh, philosopher John Trapp said, such is hypocrisy, which is also as leaven. One, it spreads, two, it swells, and three, it sours the meal. And if we look at hypocrisy, this idea of not doing what you mean, saying something but then doing something else, we get it. It can spread, it can affect attitudes, it could swell, it could elevate ego in a way that is completely proud and unhealthy, and it can sour attitudes and sour character. Jesus is comparing something which we see as good as something that is destructive. I would say actually hypocrisy in in how the Pharisees are being, this idea of religion and ritualism is more important than relationship, can be something that for sometimes looks good, but is damning and killing. We really need to be careful what we say. In fact, Jesus says, well, be careful what you say in the private place. Because in the public, it's quite easy what we do. It's not hard for everyone to kind of play Christian buzzword bingo, to kind of say the right thing, to try and get people on your side. But what you do in the private place? Now, that's a different thing altogether. I love Ian's analogy of the cupboard under the stairs and not wanting people to see in that cupboard. Well, the reality is what happens in the cupboard is the most important thing that God looks at. It's the private place that matters. We've got to learn to be congruent in our faith. 
practice what we preach. Beloved family, we can't be a church that one side says something just to win people over, but our attitude and action is completely different. You can't say, I'm bothered about the next generation, and then on the other side, not really do anything to help with the kids and youth, maybe in our own home. You can't say, I care about mission, but when it comes to inviting people to come to a church event, or even inviting people to Alpha, or even asking them a question about faith, you refuse to do. You can't say, church, this is such an important thing to attend, the, the, like the prayer meetings, it's so important to come to, we in the private place, you don't even acknowledge prayer. Now, don't get me wrong, we, we all kind of have a bit of hypocrisy in us. We're, we're human in that way. The, the question here is not to try and say exactly, damn you. The question is to say, challenge us. It's not condemnation that Jesus is bringing out. It's a conviction to go, hypocrisy has to be killed. We have to be congruent in what we do. This includes in how we say and encourage people. When, when we say to others, why aren't you serving? But we're not really serving ourselves. It's hypocritical. We know it is. Now, the flip side of this that we can try and avoid is not doing anything. We say nothing and we do nothing. Well, actually, what that produces is laziness. That produces something that is equally as bad of being just unbothered. Now, we don't want to be unbothered in faith, but we don't want to be hypocritical in faith. What we want to be is relational in faith. What we want to be is congruent in faith. Say what we mean, relational in what we do. Here's my first challenge. Are you congruent in what you do? Do you practice what you preach? Or are you just kind of saying buzzword bingo Christianity just so that people can hear your message? It's a really difficult thing. Even myself, I was just reflecting, man, I'm so challenged to make sure that what I say is what I mean. Tough one. Okay, let's move on just because of time. Second thing, glorious fear. Jesus goes on to kind of tackle this idea of hypocrisy by changing the subject in a way of what we should fear. He straight away says that we shouldn't fear man because man doesn't have a hold on us. In a sense that all I can really do is, is I can deal with my own body and like that, that's what man can do. But after that, it has no hold. Uh, Paul in Philippians, uh, he kind of tackles this bit of saying, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This concept of if I die, I gain everything. I gain Christ. I gain the fullness of God and eternity with him. But right now I live for Christ. We've been going through the book of Philippians as a youth group, as during our Bible studies in, uh, on the mornings. And a question we keep on asking ourselves is, is Christianity worth dying for? Is it actually worth dying for? And the beautiful thing Paul kind of draws out is, yeah. Why? Because God, I gain everything in Christ. And right now to live is for him. And therefore Jesus is kind of saying, don't fear man. Because actually, after death, man has no hold on you. There's something bigger to fear. And Jesus doubled down in verse 5 by saying who we should fear. Fear God. Because he can do more than anything else. Now, here's my silly analogy. You know I need to have one. So, here's a candle. Now, now, if we think about man, to be able to light this candle, 
I need to get a match or a lighter or something. What we read in the Bible is God can literally command down and light this candle with heavenly fire. That's what, that's what he does. Or what about this one? If I was to take, oh, if I was to take this water bowl, right? And I was to go, become wine. Nothing will change. Nothing will happen. We read that Jesus, his first miracle was changing water into wine. If I was to say to this bowl, split in two. Nothing's going to happen. But, but God does that. God, Jesus calmed the storms. Jesus calmed the winds. Well, my point here is that we can do a limit of stuff. We can do a little bit. Like, but we, we don't have control over the elements. And the elements is an eternity. The elements is one aspect of, of just showing God's glorious power. Let me put this down before I spill it. It's one side of showing, showing God's glorious power. What Jesus is saying here is fear one who has power over everything, over all things, even your life. Now we read this and we can easily go, oh, wait a second here. How am I meant to respond? How am I meant to be fearful? Well, I was just wondering this and I was spending time actually telling my dad just talking about I'm preparing this preach and he says um he said to me that as a loving father I would want to say things to you to make sure you see my love and you hear my voice and that you'll be obedient regardless of what way I do it I want to make sure that you know I love you and even if that means that at times I've got to be a little bit scary I've got to get that across same with our heavenly father and when he said that I was like that is such wisdom it's so true if you think about a child where you've got a kettle in the corner if you said to a child don't touch it it's magic you know you don't want to touch that a kid's gonna touch that if you say to it don't touch it why you shouldn't touch it it's not a reason but if you say to a child don't touch it because it's hot and it will hurt you and i don't want that to happen to you though there's an element where you've got to be slightly fearful of the kettle is from a place of love. We read the exact same thing here. Jesus has asked us to fear the Lord because it's completely from a place of love. It's a place of wisdom. Because by understanding the, that we should fear the Lord, our life puts in absolute relative perspective. Let me just read three verses in the Bible that talk about the fear of the Lord in this way. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of, the Lord, uh, fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. What a verse. Hebrews 13, verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What man can do to me? What can man do to me? Jesus is making it so clear that the fear of the Lord is a glorious, glorious thing. It's the thing that we should do out of love. It's the thing we should do out of real recognition. He goes on another level of this to make sure that we know that his instruction to fear the Lord is out of love by talking about these sparrows and this hair. Well, these sparrows in the time in the marketplace, sparrows were the cheaters of item. It was kind of like the Freddo of the day, the kind of cheap pocket money item that you could buy. And what he's saying is, sparrows have a cost. How much more are you worth? 
He goes saying, um, God knows the number of hairs on your heads. I think that's something that we always say to our, our children, right? Of how we know God's love. But I have this kind of image of when I comb my hair in the morning and I have a bit of hair that might come out, um, not on my beard at the moment, obviously, but I have a bit of hair that comes out. I imagine this analogy of my father in heaven going, oh, that's number 112, 73 and 1093 come out. Man, that's 2762 in his hair. I love him. God knows the numbers hairs on your head in the morning and in the evening. This is the all-powerful God. This is the God who um, literally created everything. This is the God that can save us for eternity. This is the God that sent his son to die on the cross because he deemed us worthy of that. The fact that he felt we were worthy to have the sanctification of the son's blood poured out on the cross so by his grace and mercy we could be saved. What power... What grace, what glorious fear we should have of our God. Here's my question. How often do you just sit in awe of our God? That's kind of a difficult thing. But Ian was talking about sometimes in our private place last week. Man, did that impact me. Because how often do I sometimes sit in just in my room or go for a walk and I just spend time thinking... God, you truly are glorious. You are Lord of all. How often do we have time where we just spend looking at our God? I want to encourage you, it is healthy to have a glorious fear of our God. Recognising how good and wonderful he is. And just be in the place where we're not asking something from him. But we're just going, God, you are so powerful. And you are so mighty. And in that, you are so gracious that you love me enough that I can be fearful of you. But I can also be ushered in as a child because of what Jesus has done. What a wonderful thing it is. Let me continue. As I just finish this last bit, stand up, stand filled, this last little bit, where Jesus is kind of saying, if you don't voice for me, then God won't voice for you. If you don't speak for me, then God won't speak for you. It's a really challenging verse in this kind of way, but it's again a clear sign of love. It's talking about a father's heart for his children that he wants them to be for him. He wants them to know and to choose him. Now, please know that this, this theology that we're talking about fit, must fit in with the rest of the Bible that talks about only through Jesus that we're saved. And when Paul talks about 1 Corinthians, that once saved, always saved. So when it talks about this moment of denying him, this isn't a one-off moment, but this is an all-in, heart-in thing. It's an all-in, I'm for out, I'm not for Jesus. It's an all-in thing. We struggle with life. Man, even during this lockdown, have I struggled at times with my faith, just knowing God's provision. But it's the constant choice of saying, I choose to be a child of God. A daily walk, a daily choice of saying, even though I struggle, I'm all in for Jesus. 
I'm all for him. It's why in verse 11 and 12, Jesus encourages us saying that the Holy Spirit will be for us. The Holy Spirit will teach us what we ought to do and ought to say. There's recognition to know that this battle is difficult. There's recognition to know that hypocrisy and dealing with hypocrisy is difficult. To not be like the Pharisees. It's recognition to know that having the fear of the Lord is difficult. To actually sometimes be in a place where we're in awe of God can be difficult. So the Holy Spirit is there to teach us and help us what to do and what to say. The struggle and battle might be real, but salvation is not temporary. Oh, Heavenly Father, I am grateful that salvation is not temporary. And actually, just just encourage you, if you haven't ever given your life to Jesus, to give him your all and to say, I'm all in, well, you can do that today. And guess what? If you do it today, it's not temporary. It lasts for eternity. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing that we can stand up for him, but stand filled by the Holy Spirit to know that we can walk in the light of him. But it's an all-in choice. Hypocrisy screams half in. Hypocrisy screams, well, I'm going to say I'm for him, but my character, my attitude is not. Well, that's lukewarm. And God doesn't like lukewarm. That's kind of trying to say, well, I'm sugar and I'm, I'm sugar and I'm salt. Well, sugar brings out sweetness, salt brings out flavour. But if you're not that sugary and you're not that salty, you're a waste. You don't really bring anything. And the Bible says you get trampled on. In a, in a metaphorical way of saying, you're not really part of him. So it's an all-in thing. Let me just come into land in the last few minutes. Our journey in Luke has taken us to a new focus. And I hope you see my content at the beginning coming out. That Jesus is trying to encourage the disciples in a way of commissioning for now what's to come. A real action that has to come. The fact that they need to step in and step into, start to move in the work and body of Christ. We continue to see the establishing of the um, uh, sovereignty, oh, I can't say the word, sovereignty of God. That he has and that he is, but it's now time for clear call to equipping. In the rest of Luke 12, we see this time of saying, get equipped, get ready, get understanding where priority should be. And I believe actually our preachers have hit the right moment prophetically for what we need to understand. I believe prophetically that right now church is a time to get ready. Right now is a time for us to stop falling into maybe hypocritical things. Stop trying to do things for the, the Christian likes. Stop trying to post stuff on social media for the sake of just getting the likes. But trying to start doing things that we mean wholeheartedly to share the love of Christ. Start doing things in the private place. Instead of just kind of saying, oh, let's attend prayer meetings for the sake of it. Being diligent on how long I'm spending time praying with my heavenly father in the private place that none of you know about. Because it's not my relationship with you, it's my relationship with God. It's my relationship with the high king, it's my relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. Therefore, the opinion of others doesn't really matter to me in the same way compared to the opinion of my Heavenly Father. 
I believe prophetically that this aligns to how we're meant to be. And actually, what Miriam and Rosemary shared this week, I believe prophetically fits exactly with this preach. That we're being chiseled. That our characters are being moulded. That the, the prodigals are coming home because there's a recognition to say, I can't be like that anymore. It's time to kick to the curb hypocrisy in our hearts and attitude, waking up to the fact that we need to be congruent Christians who are obedient to Christ because we absolutely love him and we're fearful of him in a glorious, wonderful way. That daily we should be working out our spiritual gifts, enjoying being filled by the Holy Spirit to live a life that is worthy of him, to see us as children of faith because he put He put. Um, himself death on the cross so that we could become children of faith hypocrisy has to die self-focus has to fall self-fame has to be got rid of and extinct and humility has to reign all has to come obedience has to be carried out and congruent faith and congruent relationship has to be lived let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are Lord, that you are God. I thank you that we can be congruent in what we do, that what we practice is what we preach, and what we preach is what we practice. I thank you, Father, that we can have glorious fear of who, of you, that we can just enjoy being in your presence. And I thank you that you know the battle's tough, you know the battle's real, and I pray now we are able to continue to seek the Holy Spirit to be filled by your grace and to be filled by the power of God. In your holy name, amen. Amen. That's it for today. Be blessed. I pray that you have a great week. Looking forward to seeing you all soon.